We stand in His favor. We stand in His grace. He is for us. Who could be against us? He has said, I'm going to use everything that comes into your life for your good. And so Paul says, we can exult and should exult in the tribulations, knowing, knowing, that's the key, that God is going to use them. You see, justification, justification alone doesn't produce perseverance and constancy and endurance and proven character. No, God uses circumstances to produce these things. God uses trials. God uses troubles in our lives to produce proven character. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans chapter 5. Last time we, uh, we looked at the great truth of verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified, having been declared righteous, we have presently peace with God. And we talked about it. I mean, there's a wealth of truth in that short verse. Having been justified, we were justified in the past and it has continuing implications in our life. We have peace with God. There are no degrees of justification. You either are justified or you aren't. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God declares you righteous, and there are no exceptions. Every Christian has peace with God. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or if you just trusted the Lord yesterday. You have peace with God. I don't care how much you know about it. Untaught Christians have peace with God. Christians who don't even really know it, who are maybe uh, fearful yet because they haven't been taught this great truth. But if you've laid hold in simple childlike faith of Jesus Christ, if you're depending on Him and Him alone for your standing before God, then I guarantee you on the basis of God's Word, you have peace with God. There are no exceptions. The weak and the strong, young and the old. Now chapter 5 goes on and uh, emphasizes argues for, shows, and demonstrates the permanence of this justification. This peace we have with God cannot be lost. It cannot be forfeited. You will never lose it. Now, he gives three guarantees, and I'll just outline the chapter once again because I hope you're reading. I hope you're reading the whole book of Romans, and I would encourage you to read this fifth chapter as a piece. I mean, you know, read it. Don't just read what we're looking at, but read the whole thing often until you see what he's getting at here. But he gives three great guarantees of the permanence of justification or the security of our salvation or the permanence of this peace we have with God. The first thing, justified by faith. What about my faith? What if my faith falters? What if my faith isn't what it ought to be? Verses 2 through 5. 
Faith, real faith, is never destroyed by circumstances. It is never destroyed by trouble. It is always, in fact, strengthened, strengthened by troubles and trial. Second guarantee, the love of God, verses 6 through 11. We're going to have a great time. One of the best statements in all of Scripture. Next time we're in Romans, we'll look at it. Verses 6 through 11. And then the third guarantee of the permanence of our justification, the parallel between Adam and Christ, verses 12 through 21. Now, everything we have is from God's grace. It is through God's Son. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we have comes from God through Jesus Christ. And uh, notice verse 2. He gives the past, the present, and the future. Having been justified, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, having been justified, we have peace, and we presently stand in peace. And stand, notice, look at it, in grace. We stand in this grace. And in the future, we exult in hope of the glory of God. Now, uh, last time I mentioned that the early part of Romans 5 and the end of Romans 8 are very parallel. And in one fact, in one way, I kind of like to think of them as bookends to this whole section uh, because what he says here in the early part of chapter 5, he comes back and nails it down once again in chapter 8. And both portions of Scripture are loved by God's people because of that. But notice he moves from justification here in verse 1 all the way to glorification. We exult in hope of the glory of God. As we look to the future, we rejoice, we exult in the hope we have of the glory of God. So he moves from justification to glorification. Look over at Romans 8 just for a minute. Turn over there and notice how he does the same thing. Romans 8 Verse uh, 30. Whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He justified us in the past. And we would expect, in fact, in the f- verse 30, everything there he's talking about the past. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. But it's a little bit surprising, is it not, to read that He glorified us in the past tense. He hasn't done that yet. As I look at you, I don't see any of you glorified. (laughs) And as I know, as you look at me, same thing. We're not glorified yet. We're not what we ought to be. He's got a lot of changes left to make in our lives. And when we see Him, we'll be like Him. We're not glorified yet, yet He uses the past tense. It is so certain that he says, and he speaks, verse 30, from eternity past to eternity future, and he uses the past tense. He says, it's done. It's certain. The uh, theologians, the Bible scholars, come up with a new category almost here to describe a past tense that's prophetic, a past prophetic. But the Scripture uses it quite often because when God looks at things and when God says something, it is so certain, it's as if it's done. You know, sometimes we say, well, it's water under the bridge. You can't do anything about it. It's accomplished. Well, God's plan... 
is so certain that he's going to accomplish in the future what he's said he's going to do that he says, having those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now look back at chapter 5, verse 2. And he says, we ought to exult in hope of the glory of God. Uh, let me just redefine, or not redefine, but just define some of those terms for us because we don't catch the significance of it sometimes because we use language so differently than the Bible does. We exult, we rejoice, we, we're just thrilled with, okay? We exult in hope. But you know the way we use hope, we use hope as a very iffy kind of a thing, don't we? We hope it doesn't rain. We hope that uh, things turn out, and we hope and hope, you know. But the Bible, the New Testament, hope is a solid certainty. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. I'm quoting Hebrews 6, 19. God, when He uses the term hope, it is the best way I can describe it is we stand here in time and we look back at the cross and by faith we accept what God did looking back and we look ahead and hope is merely faith in the future. But it's, it's just as certain as the past, you see, because the object is God. And so hope does not disappoint, he's going to say here in verse 5 as he takes us through this. And this hope is a solid certainty. So you have us rejoicing in the solid certainty, and look at the rest of the phrase, of the glory of God. What's, what's glory mean? I mean, you know, we use it a lot, don't we? Glory, you know. We, it's a term we read all over the Scripture. But what does it mean? Well, the Old Testament concept, uh, it's... it's it's heavy. It's the idea, it's a pictorial term of God's glory, the heaviness, the very weight. He is the heavyweight, if we would say it, you know. We understand that. He, His glory is His very presence, to be in His presence. We just can't, we can't figure words to speak of it. It's, he's glorious. He is heavy. And of course, it comes into the New Testament with the same with the same freight, and so you have this word doxa, we get our word doxology, uh, the glory of God, the very presence of God, to be in His presence. So now reread the phrase. We exult in the solid certainty of the presence of God. Right now, verse 2, we have access, we have introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the certainty, the solid certainty that we will one day be ushered right into His glory. Oh, that will be glory for me when by His grace I shall look on His face. That will be glory, be glory for me. When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I'm safe on the beautiful shore. Just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of His infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there 
and to look on His face will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. When Christ, Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then we also will be revealed with Him in glory. What a, what a prospect as He glances ahead. And you know, the New Testament perspective is to regularly think on it. hundred years from now, Christian, you're going to be there. Unless this jogging does a lot more than I think. And I kind of doubt it. It'll be glory. And we're going to be there. He says, think on it regularly. The New Testament has us constantly looking ahead and rejoicing. But the New Testament never glosses over the here and now. He wouldn't have us just rejoice in the future. He has us exult in the present tense, right now. You say, well, what if your here and now circumstances are far from glorious? What if, Scott, you may be able to say that, but I'm facing real trouble. Listen, that's often the case. The New Testament doesn't minimize it, doesn't hide from it. Uh, Read verse 3. And not only this, we not only rejoice in the future glory, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I repeat it, the New Testament never hides or tries to dismiss the the fact that there are real problems in this life. Oh, I know some preachers and some teachers will tell you that if you come to Christ, why, everything's just smooth sailing after that. Your finances, your marriage, your health, everything. God wants you happy, and He'll give you everything you want. And they treat God like a big gumball machine. But I don't know where they get that in Scripture. You have to twist and distort and pick and choose, but you read the Scripture, and God is for us. He loves us. He wants us happy. But that does not mean that He'll make everything smooth sailing for us. In fact, the New Testament guarantees that there will be troubles and trials right here and now. But we're not to be discouraged, we're to, look at verse 3, exult. He uses the same phrase, we're to exult in the tribulation. Now, two things before we look at it a little more closely. Two things. First of all, verses 3 through 5. First of all, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, 2 Corinthians 4 says. Uh, The sufferings that we're going through right now are nothing compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And secondly, the sufferings of this time, the sufferings of this present life are not random, and they're not just wasted. God doesn't just, oh, did I let that happen to someone? 
Maybe you're feeling that way. Why me? Why did, why did, it just seems like the luck of the draw. I look around and other people, other Christians don't have this problem, don't have these problems. Everything seems to be going there. Did it just kind of happen? Did I just make some mistakes? And What's the deal? Listen, they're never random, and they're never without real purpose in our life. They will be used for good to those who love God. We can bank on it. You say, how? Well, look at verses 3 through 5. And I want to look at this very closely. How can a Christian exult in tribulation? I can understand exulting in the future glory. I'm going to be in heaven. What a day that'll be. But how can we exult in tribulation? Why should we exult in tribulations? Keyword, verse 3. Knowing, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Every time Donna sings that song, and uh, the way the music just lifts at that point, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's Romans 8, 28. We can know these things. We can know these things because uh, we stand in His favor. We stand in His grace. He is for us. Who could be against us? He has said, I'm going to use everything that comes into your life for your good. And so Paul says, we can exult and should exult in the tribulations, knowing, knowing, that's the key, that God is going to use them. You see, justification, justification alone doesn't produce perseverance and constancy and endurance and proven character. No, God uses circumstances to produce these things. God uses trials. God uses troubles in our lives to produce proven character. Now, let's uh, watch that unfold. You say, how can you know that? I mean, you said the key word is knowing this because God says it over and over. He's, he repeats it. And you know, every, everything God says can be depended upon, but when he says something repeatedly, and in this context, in that context, and then illustrates it, and then says it again, you can know, you can know that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. Consider it all joy, my brethren, James wrote, remember, when you encounter various trials, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In this, Peter wrote, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, will be found to result in praise and honor and glory and revelation at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the whole book of 1 Peter, he compares it to the purification process of gold. And as fire is to gold... Doesn't hurt the gold at all. It purifies it, burns away the impurities. So troubles and trials are to the Christian and his faith. People say, well, so and so uh, hit some 
tough circumstances and they lost their faith. No. Hmm. If so-and-so hit some rough water and lost their faith, they lost not their faith, they lost their facade. Oh, she went away to college and lost her faith. No, she didn't go away to college and lose her faith. She went away to college and lost her facade. You see, faith is purified by trial. Just like fire can't hurt gold. It just gets rid of the, the bad things and leaves purity. Same way with uh, the Christian life. Now let's watch the process. We know, knowing that tribulation, trouble, affliction, oppression, suffering, it has the idea of being pressed in upon. You ever feel that way? You know, just things just... And some of you are very much pressed in on. You're afflicted. It can be any number of things, but uh, it's a very picturesque word for a very real human condition. When things press in on us and afflict, there can be uh, suffering from persecution, outright persecution. There can be medical suffering. There can be uh, financial affliction. Paul uses this very term in 2 Corinthians 8 when he talks about the deep poverty that the believers were in, and yet they were not allowing that to keep them from giving generously. But they were in real affliction, and he describes it, real tribulation. He uses this very term, deep poverty. And people that are hurting and don't know where the next meal is coming from, or people who cannot afford Christians today, that's a real affliction. And most of us don't know much about it when you really think about it. But uh, financial pressure, uh, some of you know, uh, there can be affliction and tribulation. This term is used and it's translated distress. The loneliness, the loneliness of widowhood. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Savior, that we visit widows and orphans in their distress. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Permanence of Justification, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 
and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. This word that is translated perseverance is sometimes translated endurance, but it's the New Testament, the great term to abide, to live. But he adds the prefix under. To not run, but to stay, to live under the circumstances God puts you in. Tribulation brings about a perseverance, a willingness to hang in there. And that's the great need in our generation, our generation of Christianity. Oh, all the marriage problems that would be solved if we weren't the now generation. We want it fixed now, don't we? If there's a problem in our marriage, we want it now. Fix it. Now, tribulation brings about endurance, perseverance. Oh, the great need in the Christian life in every realm is for those who endure. And God wants to work that into your life and into my life. And He'll do so not just by speaking it in. It's not a positional truth. It's not the peace with God that we have. No exceptions, no degrees, no. This is something that He works in through tribulation and trouble. Why does He allow His children to suffer? Because it produces endurance. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.